Hello, my name is Joshua Gilliland, and, and I'm Matthew Sherino. and we are here to talk about something of traditional geekdom, the 50th anniversary of Dr. Hill. <laughs> so, Your Honor, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, and how are you? Excellent. I am... We, we, we are officially, what it the... Uh, Five days, 22 hours, and 19 minutes away from the, uh, the 50th episode. And, and how are you able to determine that number? Great, great BBC app uh, that's, that's, that's tracking it down. They have, they have a couple of really good ones out there. So if you go to the Apple uh, uh, App Store and, and type in Doctor Who, there's some really good apps out there right now. Awesome. They've, I, I got to compliment and commend the BBC for their marketing of this. They've... They have a global phenomenon with the world simulcast. Geeks everywhere have sonic screwdrivers in hand, ready to go. And, you know, God bless them. I can't wait for November 23rd because people are just going to geek out across the planet. I'm sure Twitter will come to a screeching halt. Ex excellent marketing from teaser trailers uh, to small snippets to uh, well-orchestrated leaks. Uh, every, everything along the lines, uh, you know, a real American marketing type campaign um, for the BBC on this one. And I, and I think that the, the interest for a Doctor Who show, and, and, and I'm recent to, to Doctor Who, I really only started watching them uh, this year. And, uh, and it's, it's a great, great job of marketing. Phenomenal. They... You think they brought in people from MI6, you know, to keep the Night of the Doctor secret. You know, there was a rumor that was going to happen, but then it was dismissed as just being a rumor. But and they were even who the Doctor was was just took everyone by surprise, and even that was just so artfully done because when when he when he first hits the screen and you know she's calling for a doctor, uh, and and he says. Uh, I'm a doctor, but I'm not who you know who you expect. I, it was it was brilliant because it was, it was such a great line and it was so funny, and and it, and I really think he's a great bridge between the the old series and a new series, and 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 I don't I know he's very popular in, in audio Doctor Who, uh, but there's really only that one episode, uh, what that that one special movie that that he's in, and he kind of is you know part of that bridge between a very serious doctor but with some humor to him that the, 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 the ninth and the 10th. And, and, and I'm also now really confused as to numbering because when you throw in this war doctor um, who apparently doesn't have a number, um, you know, it, it, it's an interesting question now as to the newest doctor coming out, what incarnation is he? Um, and, and, and whether or not Moffat's going to keep the, amount of incarnations that they're supposed to be or is he going to fudge that a little bit because that can have a dramatic uh, impact on the Doctor Who series as to whether this is the next to last Doctor, the last Doctor, or is it just uh, just another number Doctor? I believe, and we'll find out for sure, I mean, you know, there are geeks everywhere speculating and probably having bar fights over this. But I think he counts because it was a rejection from uh, the eighth doctor, Paul McGann, to the war doctor, John Hurt. And while it did take place on Karn, and so it was a controlled regeneration, they might work in something either with 
you know, the sisterhood of Karn extending the number of regenerations that he has because the, uh, was it the eternal flame of Karn then, which was going way back to a fourth doctor adventure with Mobius to um, maybe something with the moment and ending the time war if that changes him somehow. So there, there are a variety of things that they can do because it is sci-fi. And, oh, and, and they don't want the series uh, to go away, especially when I think it's probably doing better than ever, uh, especially marketing-wise. I mean, the, the, every one of the Barnes & Nobles uh, by me has these giant setups with all kinds of Doctor Who games and screwdrivers and Doctor Who Monopoly. And I've never seen so much Doctor Who uh, stuff. And part of it is because is I wasn't into the Doctor Who series. Maybe I just didn't notice it. But it, it's it's the amount of stuff there is, is clearly uh, all over the place. I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's more popular, I, I guarantee, than it's ever been, at least as far as sales. Well, I was blown away when I last went to the movies, you know, and, and on IMAX, seeing a preview for Day of the Doctor at the movie theater. You know, that would not have happened when I was a kid growing up, because it was, at that point, it was cheap special effects. It were only those who watched Doctor Who on PBS late on Friday nights. So to see that jump in from very esoteric sci-fi so full-blown pop culture and acceptance is pretty extreme for a 50-year-old story. And so, apparently the movie sales, because they are showing this in, in movie theaters around the world as well, the movie ticket sales have been very, very good. Because it, it, I think it was, it's, it's done in 3D, uh, so a lot of people want to see it that way for the first time. And I, I'm curious as to whether they're going to keep it in the movie theaters for at least a couple of weeks, or I guess it'll be based on sales, but I haven't heard as to whether it's going to stick around the movie theaters, because I might like to see it again, because the first time I think I'm going to watch it at home, but the uh, I might want to see it on the big screen. And, and I could be wrong on this, but when I looked online, in my area was definitely playing the Monday after. So you know, we got the global premiere on Saturday, and then Monday it was being shown in the theaters, and I don't know if that's just for one day, or if it's going to be, you know, for an extended period, I don't think they will say no to making money. I think that'd be silly. I right. I mean, they're they're releasing it on on, on DVD as well, uh, on Blu-ray, all around the same time. And and even that in and of itself is an interesting. Uh, it's going to be an interesting study because there's there's been some push because of the uh, the amount of piracy and illegal DVDs that are on sale. And and you know, when I worked in Manhattan, a block south from Canal Street in Manhattan, we uh, the, usually weeks before the movie was out, they were already selling the DVDs on the street, um, that there will be more and more simulcast releases on cable, in the movie theater, um, and on DVD because the movie studios, due to the illegal pirating, could potentially make all of their money really, really fast those first couple of days. And then, you know, they don't need to continue to make it in the same kind of way. So it might change the way uh, movies are done in the future. Which is fascinating global copyright issues. You know, the, the video on demand, you know, the fact that uh, I, was, I was going through Apple TV last week and there were a couple films that were available to watch pre-theatrical release, which, which right. I hadn't And you heard. started to see more of that. It's mind-blowing. 
you know, that, you know, it's like, I think one of them was last days on Mars. You know, there, there, there might've been something else, but I, I, I guess that's the future, you know, which is kind of weird. I, you know, my first job uh, in high school was at a movie theater. And so I'm a big fan of going to the movies. And yes, I did wear a bow tie on uh, my first job. This uh, is my best attempt at a red fez. Uh, yeah, and, and, and I do have my third doctor, you know, Venetian Akuto uh, t-shirt on. First time breaking this out. Uh, but you, there's something magical about going to the movies. So if everything was just bod, you know, and you don't have to leave your house, I, I think part of the movie going experience is lost. But that being said, I'm glad that they're putting Day of the Doctor out into the theaters because it's, you know, it feels like a geek victory that you, we could have something this fun and sci-fi and long-lasting and, and British, you know, penetrate the mainstream um, back when in the 70s and 80s and 90s, it was well, not the 90s because that was the dark decade. Um, you know, it, it's phenomenal. It's a global change. And, and not that this is on, on topic, but I think the, the movie experience itself is very much changing as you see more and more theaters that are opening up with dining options. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's partly uh, due, I think, to the price of the tickets that if you're going to the movies, you want it to be a very entertaining, uh, different experience than, than being at home. So they're adding all of this, this to it. But I, I can see, especially with niche movies, um, that aren't necessarily going to be mainstream movies that if you release it on everything on the same day, those that like seeing it in the movies will go see it in the movies. Those that want to pay for video on demand will pay for it there. Um, and those that want to buy it on DVD will buy it on DVD. And, and you'll make all of your money up front earlier. You'll probably have to do a little bit less marketing. And some of them probably will be so successful that it will spurn a longer theatrical run than it might have had normally but it's 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 definitely changing how it, how it ends up is going to be interesting to see. yeah it's a yeah i i've seen the you know the dining experience before and or the assigned seating at the movies which was which is also a neat thing with some theaters um what i'm you know feel bad about is the decline of uh matinee prices you know i went to go see gravity at a matinee, and it was still seven. Right, and it's tough, tough for the families with with a whole bunch of kids when you, you you're paying for the tickets at those prices, and then you know the popcorn and and all the rest of the candy at those prices. It's a very expensive uh, afternoon out. Whereas you used to have you know get the two dollar for three dollar five dollar matinee tickets, and you know it was it was much easier to pay for uh, your wife and two or three or four kids. Yeah, a game changer. And, uh, you know, the movies have always, you know, the snacks have always been the way that they make money because the <coughs> mission price pays for the movie. The snack bars, how movie theaters, at least in the 90s when I worked at one, made money. And so how will this all change with video on demand? Again, we'll, we will see. We will see. Yeah, pizza but, places will say the same thing. They they break even on their slice, and and their profits are all on these the sodas sold. And restaurants, a lot of you know, a, a giant bulk of their profits is is from the bar, uh, as opposed to the, the the food items. Exactly. Well, let's let's talk Doctor Who because again, this is a positive thing about video on demand. People have been watching 
classic episodes on Netflix. They've been able to download other classic ones off iTunes. And then you have the 2005 and forward seasons that people have been watching on Netflix and, and other options as well. If it, wa- if it wasn't for Netflix, I, I never would have been able to get into the, the Doctor Who series mm-hmm. because they had um, you know the, the 2005 mm-hmm. reboot up until the current year on Netflix, and I watched them one after the other, after the other, after the other, and, and was able to watch them. And and, and uh, it, it's it definitely has brought more fans, and, and you, you, with all of the press and, and all of the events around the 50th, anniversary if there wasn't the ability to um, get all of these older tickets you would not be bringing anyone new into the fold and I, I got to think a lot of people uh, especially with the the the, uh, the last two doctors who have become a favorite of of, of even uh, teenage girls around the country um, that lots and lots of new people have come into the Doctor Who universe because of Netflix and iTunes and Hulu and, and all of the other video on demand and it's it's I think a great boon to entertainment all of these series. Breaking Bad had the same advantage. If if you know more people started watching Breaking Bad while it was on hiatus, uh, and then became giant fans. And there's people that are now just starting Breaking Bad because everyone said what an amazing series it was on Netflix. And 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 um, I saw a. Um, a great graphic a couple of days ago that the, the amount of bandwidth that Netflix takes up on any given day on the internet far eclipses every other uh, aspect of the internet. And it's amazing to see how well that they're doing when uh, a year and a half or so, two years ago, there was talks of them uh, not doing quite that well. And uh, they've, they've certainly have jumped on board with the streaming and all of their original shows have been great uh, from House of Cards uh, to Orange uh, is the New Black. So it's, 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 it's nice to see Netflix doing so well. That and, you know, this again, off topic, but while we're on video on demand, there are Marvel shows, you know, that they paid for four of them, you know, that they'll be huge. And they're, the fact they're able to go to second tier uh, characters, you know, I read, Power Man and Iron Fist when I was a kid, and, you know, I, I have issues, and we, we could talk about that, and uh, Jessica Jones, and, you know, the fact that you can actually, I mean, they're, they're bold enough, you know, and, and granted, it shouldn't take a bold move, but the fact that they can now have uh, female leads is awesome, totally awesome, so, you know, hats off to Netflix for being able to uh, basically expand geekery uh, and pop culture and everything. So, uh, which is totally cool. So, uh, we, we now have a legal geek you weren't expecting uh, joining in. And so, once she uh, unmutes her mic and turns on her cam, uh, we'll have her say hi as well. But uh, as we now, let's really jump into... See, perfect timing for, for actual talking about Dr. Who. Exactly. Even though we've, we've done a good lead up uh, to, to Who. So, since... <clears throat> I'm a lawyer, you're a judge, uh, our other guest is also a lawyer. Let's talk about legal issues in Dr. Hill. And, you know, I know you've, you've been, you know, you watched everything from 2005 forward. I know you watched Trial of the Time Lord and, and some other classics. But what legal issues jump out to you when it comes to Dr. Hill? I think that that Trial of the Time Lord's uh, series very much 
work forward a lot of those legal issues in a great way. One thing that the trial the trial itself did is is the exhibits, which were clips from the prior Doctor Who, gave me uh, some of the other older Doctor Whos that I hadn't uh, yet seen. And and you know the greatest um, lore, I guess, for for the Time Lords uh, is dealing with how much interaction and how much they're able to change uh, the timeline continuum. And and I think that you know lore seems to permeate all of the series you know in the new series they found themselves at one point back in uh with hitler and and do they kill hitler um or is that one of the events of time that just cannot be changed so i you know i think that's the the the, the crux of the legal issue is is almost like the prime directive on star trek um you know how much influence can we give how much future technology can we give uh how much contact can we have with uh, the new races and or even earlier Earth incarnations. Well, you you also get the factor from the three doctors, which they said the first law, even though the trial of the Time Lord also says there's a different first law, but the original first law was not crossing your own timeline, which they violated in the three doctors because of Omega, so they they were willing to violate their own law there. You all, uh, when you look at the comic book series for the 50th Prisoners of Time, um, fun story where you have Adam from the Ninth Doctor, uh, who you know the guy who had the hole in his head to suck in information. Um, very you know fascinating story with him kidnapping all the companions at the same you know simultaneously from all the different versions of the Doctor. And, and how to fight that and how to deal with that. So um, they flirted with that a couple times. But one of the issues... With the, oh, go on. I was going to say, even with the, the three doctors that you bring up, which I, I watched on, on your recommendation, the, the fact that, yes, their most important law, they, they, they ended up violating because uh, of the situation where if they didn't violate it, they would be entirely wiped out. And, and that, that brings... Um, a lot of uh, relevant discussion, even you know, to the to the current status of 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 debate sometimes in our country in dealing with, you know, it, you, we need to protect the Constitution, and 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 I'm I, a very strict loyalist to to the Constitution, but th there is arguments that are said and raised at certain times. You know, are we going to um, let our strict adherence sometimes bring us to our own destruction. And, and that balancing is incredibly difficult in, in, in dealing with a lot of the issues involved in terrorism today. Horrifically complicated. And, and ironically, well, not ironically, but in our, in our history, you know, it comes up all the time, you know, from the Civil War, because Lincoln had to suspend the writ of habeas corpus in order to keep the country together, in which the Supreme Court after the war said he should not have done, but they didn't say it during the war. You then get to uh, the Sedition Acts that came about in 1917, you know, during the First World War that nobody liked. And uh, even I'm reading a book right now called The Pacific Crucible about the early days of World War II. And, and, and the Japanese internment. Yeah. Uh, but the Navy, I mean, dealing with all the bureaucracy and like and paying for things and just getting stuff done, they, you know, because of the way the bureaucracy was at the time, and it's probably worse today, 
Uh, people just started exercising authority to go out and I don't care if you have to spend $300,000 or $3 million, just do it, get it done, and we'll deal with it afterwards. And, and that's what happens when, you know, free countries or free societies go to war uh, because we're generally not designed for it. Right. So it, it gets, and then the, then the issue is after the war, ratcheting back. Um, right now it's a little weird because we can't perpetually have a war on terror. Yeah, it, it's, it's a very different. Hopefully term. not. Yeah, hopefully not. You know, I mean, I do think we'll probably be in it for 50 years, um, just as we were with the Cold War, because we're fighting an ideology. But it's it's a different creature because we're not fighting a nation. It's nation states supporting terrorism, and it's, it's a very different creature. So, which is supposed to confuse us because it's, you know, we're trying to find out what's the right path. Um, I won't go into my views on that, but it's that's one of the challenges we have. So let's let's go back to who. Now, in the stories that, that we've seen, humanity was not the first species to evolve on Earth. So property type question for you. What race do you think would have the better ownership claim to the planet and existing countries uh, from the Doctor Who universe? Well, I guess the, the, the original Aborigine uh, people were, were the, uh, the Silurians and uh -huh. Sea Devil cousins, and, and, and you know they were a, a reptilian race that that uh, kind of was there at the beginnings of, of Homo sapiens, and, and, and um, was pushed to live in the interiors of uh, the Earth by those same homo sapiens that they initially had helped. Um, and, and so they would clearly have a legitimate claim to uh, return back to uh, the surface. Yeah, and you know, part of the reason they go underground is you know, the Earth becomes uninhabitable during, uh, because of the asteroid strike, or if it's because of Earth shock, Adric and the ship blowing up, killing all the dinosaurs, depending on how, how geeky you are looking at it. Uh, but I mean, it is fascinating to go like, just on property law, would the original owners have the better claim or those who have used the planet and been the current owners and done the improvements, would they be the, the ones who are technically the, the current owners? Or do you have, end up with a weird joint custody situation because in theory, reptilians would want to live in parts of the planet where humans could not. Right. There clearly could be a shared ownership if they would uh, actually spend the time to, to talk about it. But uh, unfortunately, I'm sure it would end up being the, a, a typical scenario in, in, in human history, which is, uh, which is um, that, that the strength of the particular race will determine uh, who actually had the right. And, and, uh, and, and unfortunately, as was uh, depending on one's vantage point and in which Aborigines uh, case you want to take, you clearly make uh, the case that, you know, their rights were trampled upon, but force sometimes does make right. Exactly. Yeah. At least in the hindsight of writing that history, since you're the one that's in control of writing that history. Yeah. Well, when you're the victor, go to the spoils of the history books. So let's talk about companions. And one of my, 
criticisms over the uh, the recent specials that they did, like last year or within the past two years. You know, they did a special about Doctor Who companions, focusing exclusively on like post two thousand five, ignoring you know everyone from nineteen sixty three going forward. So, except for Sarah, Sarah gets a little bit of of uh, of. of street cred i guess as far as that but but she's the only one and, mm -hmm. and and but part of that is you know as i've seen some of the the companions um in the older episodes i i don't think they had that same level some of them at least or at least as far as what the writers gave them to say um they didn't they didn't seem as independent uh as the latter companions which i think had you know their own thoughts and way of doing things where some of the the other ones they, they really made them seem really dumb yeah you know i'm quite fond of jamie who was um i read one uh, article that said he probably had the same amount of screen time if not more than sarah jane you know because he was the second doctor's companion and truly a wingman best friend and was very long lasting throughout the second and i time. think the important part about that was he was a he Yep, and I think that that gave them, uh, you know, they they made him more of an equal as far as as a, a true companion. Whereas when they were dealing with the female companions, uh, you know, they did, especially in, in the '60s and '70s, begin to assert their 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 uh, their own opinions a little bit more. But you could tell that they were doing it slowly and gently as to not offend anyone. Well, look how successful, or more appropriately, not successful Elizabeth Shaw was, the third Doctor's first companion, who was supposed to be, you know, you know brilliant scientist who got fed up with being, you know, told to, to hand the Doctor, you know, mixing sticks and formulas, you know, and went off on her own. And, I mean, that was probably in part because of audience reaction to her, and which, right. which is... Right. But you then had, you know, I believe Ridley Scott did work on the show at that point in time, which is why Prometheus has an Elizabeth Shaw in it. So, which, nice to see that come full circle. But um, Brigadier, I think, is also an important character who did show independence and strength um, for both the second Doctor, a ton in the thirds, a couple times in the fourth. I think he was with the fifth once or twice. I don't think he had any appearances with the sixth doctor, uh, but then it, it, he did with the uh, seventh. Um, so again, another important character. I would like to see with the you know the next doctor, you know characters like Jamie and the Brigadier again, because we've seen a lot of um, borderline you know love interest you know female companions. And, you know, that, that just seems a little weird all the time. It'd be nice to actually have somebody who's just a buddy, um, a wingman on the adventure. And, and I could see that maybe happening with this, the, the latest incarnation of the, of the Doctor. Because, um, you know, the original companion seems to stay around for a, a little bit so that there's a, a natural trans, uh, transformation to the new Doctor. But they, they don't really stay with the new doctors all that long so that next companion i have a feeling will be the next big um you know episode uh maybe that'll be um you know it's it's it, i don't think it'll make the christmas episode because I, unless he has it already done and he hasn't told anyone about it um so i gotta think that you know the 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 next season 
will bring in who that next companion might be. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Uh, but I do think we'll have Clara for probably another season, or at least half of one. I don't. I mean, right, and maybe it'll be the Christmas episode next year that yeah. the new companion comes in. Yeah, because and I do like Clara. I, I do. I think I like the character, and I, I hope we get to you know have her around for a bit. Uh, in the modern era, I've been very fond of uh, Catherine Tate's uh, Donna Noble because I thought she was the most dynamic, changed the most out of all of them, uh, and in a tragic end to her character. Um, really liked the grandfather element as well. And I, uh, I, I, I thought the grandfather was spectacular. He's just such a a, a good actor and and just so real. I mean, just just you know, just 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 so so real and, and i would have liked to seen her interaction with the 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 uh with the matt smith doctor mm -hmm. would have been very interesting to see because they both have an element of that real sarcastic um humor to them and, and it would have been funny to see their their chemistry i mean i i of the modern era i, I think i'm with the masses and in loving the Rose character, just because um, her transformation from, you know, a London type Valley girl to really a force was, was interesting to see. And, and I'm glad she's coming back for this episode. And, and I'm, and I'm very curious as to, you know, what role she's going to be playing in the, in the time war. Yeah. Cause I mean, there are a couple of theories floating around cause she's not wearing it outfit that she had on during the David Tennant years. You know, we got the glowing eyes like Bad Wolf Rose from right. taking the TARDIS from present day, you know, back to what, the 50th century or whatever <coughs> for the final, for the parting of the ways. So that is, it will be fun to see what they do with that. And, uh, you know, I initially, I thought Rose was a little too needy. And I did like her evolution, uh, but I still prefer Donna. Um, that's just because I thought Catherine Tate was far more dynamic. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little poisoned towards Donna because I I hated her character in the Office, <laughs> in the American edition of the Office when she came in as the the, the manager from Florida. I really disliked her, uh, and so when when I saw that, and again I was coming into it late, so I didn't know that she had been in Doctor Who before. Um, I didn't like her from the beginning, but by the end, I, I agree with you. She was a really, really good companion. Yeah, and, 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 and Steve Moffat really does an amazing job of, of killing them off. Rip at your heart. I mean, it's really sad and, and for that uh, I think then the older incarnation of the Doctor Who's where they just kind of just went away or they got left behind you know it was always a real tragic element to the new series that I think was missing in the in the classic year Doctor Who's. Yeah with the exception of Earthshock when they killed Adric because people didn't see that coming but at that point in time there were what uh, bless you, uh, what, four companions uh, you know, but they, you know, Rose has a relatively happy ending, you know, and you know, after the um, Stolen Earth, um, you also then have uh, Martha has a relatively happy ending um, as well. 
But, um, you know, Donna's ending is quite tragic because, you know, she becomes this very dynamic, strong, wonderful person and then is reverted back to the party girl and, you know, just sad, um, you know, to, to come so far and then get thrown back. Um, brilliantly written. Right. Does yeah. she evolve so far? Now, I do believe that Amy, the potentially that with uh, Amy Pond's character, I bet you the their original story arc was she was going to be the daughter of Donna Noble. Because in the library episode, you know, you have Donna meet a guy and fall in love in the library in that matrix. And, you know, they they kind of see each other at the end before he gets teleported away. And I, I can't help but wonder if that was, if Moffat was planning an arc there, you know, for uh, River Song. So that's just, uh, and then ultimately Amy, um, so Amy Pond wouldn't have existed. It would have just been River Song based from Don and Noble. So that, that's, can't help but wonder with two redheads if that was the game plan initially. And clearly that, that whole uh, aspect between uh, Amy Pond and River and, 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 you know, the, the Doctor Who theory of, you know, time not being a line, but this mumbly jumbly ball of, 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 of lines clearly is shown within that particular arc with all of them more than anything else. Because you, you really, if you try to, to piece out the timeline that they're all on and where they interact and how they go, it, it gives you a headache. Oh, totally. Uh, absolutely. Now, this does raise an interesting issue on whether or not the doctor's marriage to River is actually valid, since the marriage ceremony consisted of holding two ends of a bow tie and an alternate reality. Um, would that be a legally valid marriage? And was his, did he get his marriage to Marilyn Monroe annulled? See, I'm going to go with it not being valid from the beginning, so I don't think he needed to, to get it annulled. But it, it's it's like one of those things. He kind of like speaks of it. Oh, I'm going to get married, and he's on his way, and then you, you and and he and he's and he's back, and and he's because um, it, it was that particular episode is not on Netflix. Uh, I, I found it on on YouTube, um, and and uh, so so I, I but it's that wasn't one of the ones that I had ever seen. And then when, when we had, were talking about this last week and you said that that was going to be one of the issues we might discuss, I was like, you know, I didn't ever see him marry Marilyn Monroe. So I went back and I found it. For some reason, that Christmas special isn't up there. It's on DVD, but it's not up there. But I, I found the episode and, and watched it. And it was very interesting the way um, that happened. I'm going to guess that it, it wasn't legal um, in, in as much as I don't know if he's a legally recognized person with as a citizen of any place uh with the way he jumps in and out of particular times and places and countries so i don't know i i don't, I don't know if he necessarily is of legal status to get married it, it, it's definitely a unique spin on a legal alien you know because technically it would have been in the united states illegally in the 1950s uh at that christmas party where he apparently married marilyn monroe if that didn't you know, did indeed happen off off camera, so some things to think about. Now I do think that was probably the best Christmas episode, at least Matt Smith's best Christmas episode, 
Uh, a lot of people also really like the Christmas Invasion, which but I think those are probably the two top Christmas specials that they did. So let's talk about Unit, which we've seen uh, a, you know, a couple times now in the uh, new generation of, of Doctor Who series. Um, the Doctor keeps coming back to Earth to save it, and that's partly because it's a show written for us, so therefore the, most of the adventure is going to involve saving planet Earth. But does working for Unit create a special relationship which would create a duty to rescue planet Earth? And Judge, your thoughts? I, I can't see him having a duty, not as a citizen of Earth, of, of, of rescuing Earth. I think it's out of his love for Earth that he will always try to, but I don't think it's any particular uh, duty to do so. And I, I'm also, you know, the, the Unit itself, um, is, is, is interesting in, in even in, in a copyright framework because, you know, apparently the unit of the classic years was clearly, you know, a UN sponsored, uh, UN chartered organization. And then apparently there was some issues with the UN not wanting uh, to be a part of this or to use their logo. And, you know, so the name changed for what unit is. And it's, I'm still iffy as to whether they actually speak with the voice of the United Nations under what particular charter, or are they more of just a joint task force or, you know, so as to their legal ability to uh, force the doctor to do something, I don't know if there is in the modern um, incarnation, whereas there was more of an argument where, especially the doctor that was land bound to the earth uh, in the classic years that he agreed in order to work with UNIT, that he would help UNIT. But the, the modern reboot, I don't think there's any duty uh, on the doctor other than his love for the Earth. Yeah, it's, and I agree with you, but I also wonder with the uh, voice of the dam, with the crashing Titanic, that when he makes the call, he does use his UNIT identification in order to, you know, get Buckingham Palace evacuated. So there's you know, I, I don't know if there's still a valid employment contract or if he's still technically a member, uh, but that is kind of an interesting, you know, spin on it, uh, on how they would have that. His entire relationship with Buckingham Palace and the various queens and the various Queen Elizabeths uh, is, is, is an amazing story in of itself. And apparently there, there will be uh, a Queen Elizabeth of some sort as part of the uh, the 50th anniversary. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because they released a, a small little, another little back to the marketing, another snippet of a, uh, of a moment uh, dealing with uh, Queen Elizabeth and teasing that particular aspect in the 50th episode. And, and you never know what's with Moffat either. Sometimes he does these teases that will have nothing to do with the particular show, just to lead people in a, in a, in a, in a direction to, so that it keeps the show itself fresh. But it's going to be interesting to see. But yeah, no, he, he clearly uh, has relationships, whether it was with the old Torchwood, uh, the new Torchwood, um, and, uh, and, uh, and Buckingham Palace. Yeah, my brothers joke that Moffat lies, so you don't know what's going to happen, you know, and, and I do think that's kind of cool. I mean, the disinformation campaign, their ability to keep things secret, and you can't ever want to salute them, because there are so many sci-fi fans who, like, are pounding at the door to find out what's happening in Episode 7, 
um, that, you know, they just want to blow all the surprises. And, you know, we should be able to be surprised and wait and enjoy it. So the fact that they're able to keep a lid on things and that the only information that got out was the stuff that was publicly filmed for the 50th anniversary, God bless them. That's just good for them. And I'm sure. Even, even the announcing of the new doctor. Mm-hmm. The way that was handled was masterful. You release it to everybody at the same time, and and you know everyone you you you, you guessed right, so you you get uh, you get points on that one. But the the you know all the battles and there was almost odds being taken uh, as to who was going to be the next doctor. And and when he came out, it really was a treat because you know, just watching Twitter explode was fun. I mean the the amount of tweets trending as to who the narctha was was just it, it was incredibly fun and i'm sure it's going to be that way for the, the 50th episode you know the, the various the, the twitter universe is going to go crazy and, and, as it should and i mean they've, they've shown that they are a <coughs> master at doing this now and that's just cool to see them leveraging social media and whatever ndas they have in place and vows of secrecy I'm like, they're doing a really good job at keeping things under control. So, God but at the same them. time, giving enough snippets that the the fan base just wants more. Uh-huh. And because and, and, if you do a total closed shop, I think you run a risk of people saying, yeah, you're forgetting about it. You know, there's, there's these little snippets here and there, the, the way that BBC has released, you know, apps that are fun to play with. Uh, their use of, 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 of the Facebook app, the, their web page. The, the BBC web page used to be a horrible, horrible web page. Um, th- they've done a great job of incorporating all of this uh, into a very focused marketing strategy to keep people wanting more. And, and that's the way you really, really build because people are talking about it and someone else overhears it and what are you talking about? And, and then they, they can find out a little bit about it and then they want more too. So it's really, really well done. That and the entire save the day hashtag, uh, just I mean, wickedly clever. And then the little but now there's a battle between the One Directioners and 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 the because apparently um, it's a big day in in One Direction world. Um, they're releasing something that day, um, so there's now a battle as to who owns the day. Um, I, and I think the Whovians are, are, are winning the, the battle from, from what I'm seeing in the Twitter universe. But it, it, the fact that, that another group almost tried to jump on that particular date because of all of the press about that date uh, is very, very interesting. Yeah, that's uh, probably not how you're going to win friends and influence people. That's, I mean, that's some weird cyber squatting right there trying to, to hop on if you could actually own a hashtag. Um, but trying to commandeer and you know, and ride the coattails of somebody else's hashtag is, I mean, I understand why, but we're probably going to incur the ire of the people who started it. And, uh, God and, knows- and I don't know, for all I know, One Direction had that particular date first. I, mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know enough about One Direction. I, I do have a teenage daughter, so I, I, I know a little bit about One Direction because I have no choice. But the, 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 the you know, it, it's funny to see the various attacks between them that I have seen on, on, on Twitter and, and uh, as the, the One Directioners battle the Whovians. I think they're more Whovians. I'm just going to go out on I think minute. so too, especially on social. It's, I mean, it, clearly the One Direction teenagers also followed all the social media uh, stuff. But um, 
and maybe that's particular to the particular social media. Uh, those of our generation are more on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, and, and if you see the Facebook is very concerned because it's losing teenagers uh, to Tumblr and Instagram and Snapchat. Um, so maybe in the Tumblr world, uh, the One Directioners are winning, uh, but I'm not in the, the Tumblr world yet. Yeah, I've just, I've experimented a little bit with the legal geeks on that one, but it's, uh, it's different. It is. It's, it is. And, and I run a Tumblr site for uh, my bar association, but I, I don't have a, a Tumblr site of, of my own, so I, I know how to use it. And, and, and I, I feel a need to know how to use all of these various sites if it comes germane to stuff that I do. And, um, but it, it, it is clearly the favorite social media group of, of the teens right now. Yes. To Facebook's, uh, and they're very concerned about that, and they're 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 I think trying to take steps, but uh, clearly off topic. Clear, and they have some wickedly smart people over there. I'm sure they'll figure out a good counterpunch, but let's uh we'll see. So to be a companion to the doctor, you're assuming a lot of risk, which means if there were any Time Lord lawyers running around, what would a waiver look like? to be a Time Lord's companion? Well, the good thing, I guess, about the TARDIS is how big it is on the inside, uh, because you would really need a very large uh, waiver form or an incredibly short one. You know, it could probably be as simple as waiving everything mm -hmm. uh, and, and anything, and, and you might be able to accomplish it in a line if, as, a, as a good lawyer, but uh, I don't think you could any way, shape, or form ever be able to come up with all of the possible situations that could come upon you as a companion and you know you, you, you think of of the law of choices and which law controls and and the law of nations and you add that on top of it as they go from nation to nation and add on top of that universe to universe and planet to planet and time to time just just to figure out which choice of law and what law controls would probably take more time than than anything so a nice little simple uh, giving it to arbitration um, and, and uh, you know, pick a state and uh, that will control kind of thing. But yeah. I, I think you're just waiving all of your rights once you step into the TARDIS. Yeah, then there, there must be something in the shadow proclamation. There's got to be something there. Uh, but, I mean, if you're trying to list the risks, I mean, that could be anything from brain cut out and put in Cyberman to turned into tree. I mean, it, right. it's, a, it's a huge, you know, Every well, I have to spend centuries uh, in, a, as a plastic centurion outside of a box. I mean, who, who, was, who would have been able to think of that one? Yeah, and you go like, you're going to be busy for the next 2,000 years. Try not to go insane. Um, that, that's going to, yeah. Um, there, there are a lot of ways you can get killed, maimed, turned into plastic on Doctor Who. So a waiver, I think, would be pretty brutal to write for that reason. And, and does uh, the plastic version even have any rights to begin with of the, the original incarnation of Rory? Yeah, that's a good one. Because uh, you get, you know, would a Cyberman have rights? Because, you know, when you have your brain cut out and put into one of these, you know, and then you remember that you, you used to be human, uh, what happens then? You know, are you... Um, you know, in Bad Wolf, where, where you know you were having the the scum of humanity, or everyone who lost on the reality shows being boiled down into Daleks, how that work? 
So what rights would you still retain? And, and I don't know uh, because are you still a person at that point in time? It raises interesting issues of citizenship and humanity, whether if you're an American, if the 14th Amendment still applies to you um, or not. So it's, it's a fun one. I, I don't know the answer to it. Because I don't think we, we could because there's not exactly a lot of case law. Um, but I do think uh, just simply put put a sign on the on the TARDIS with the other sign uh, saying, you know, if, if it's an emergency, use the box to call. You can put another sign next to it saying basically, uh, you know, you forfeit all your rights as you walk through these doors. Yeah. Yeah. Unilateral contract. You can die violently. Right. Abandon all ye hope uh, yeah. ye who enter this box. Are you sure you want to do this? Really? OK. You can turn back now. All right. No. OK. Welcome aboard. And, so. and he almost gives that warning, the various Doctor Whos to the companions. You know, they, 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 they almost always have gotten a chance to go out, you know, to, to uh, almost like a uh, three-day um, clause in a contract where you have uh, three days to opt out. There's, there's almost that kind of case. He tends to take them on a little trip, and then he, they see a little bit of the danger. And then he brings them back and it's, you know, do you want to stay or do you want to go? That seems to be almost a running theme, in, at least into the modern Doctor Who one. Definitely with the modern, but not with the first. Because with the first companion... First he, was a kidnapping. Yeah, first was a full-blown... Grant, after a home invasion, he then kidnaps them. And but so, arguably because it was a relative. Yeah. So <laughs> he might have been the legitimate guardian. True, true. But Barbara and Ian were not... Now, yeah, it gets really, really messy with, with that first episode of an, an earthly child for that reason, because that's full-blown kidnapping. Um, even though kidnapping in common law said you had to leave the country, well, if you take people back to the Stone Age, even if you were technically in what would become Great Britain, I think you've left the country because it's not Great Britain yet. So I think that would make it kidnapping at common law. So, but with that, we are in the countdown. We are either, uh, you know, five days. So we're in the Peter Davidson countdown to the Doctor uh, uh, 50th anniversary. So uh, let the games begin. I know we will talk about this after the day of the Doctor. Uh, but but uh, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, I'm glad you, you joined the Doctor Who party. And uh, I look. Thank you for your time and enjoy the rest. You were, of the you, you were clearly uh, the, the reason that I actually got into it to begin with, because it just you made it sound like it was a fun show. So uh, I thank you for getting me into it. You're very welcome. And so, and with that, everyone, uh, stay geeky and tune in to the Day of the Doctor on November 23rd.